true crime podcast i'm hannah hi i'm kate and this is don't blame the mom yay so um we want to say um, a big hello to everyone and all of our new followers as well on instagram um at don't blame the mom if you want to follow there as well and everyone who's joined us on tiktok too tiktok too and um all of our social media <laughs> any platform that exactly. hannah has invented <laughs> any, any any social media platform you know we love all of the feedback there we want to thank you so much guys and um Thank you to all of our um, followers and listeners in America as well, because we're so excited about that. And we get so many lovely messages from you all. Um, and that really, really helps us a lot. And, and we really appreciate it. And also everyone else who listens to us um, wherever you might be listening from. Hi. Yes, we really appreciate all of our listeners and we're really excited. And we're just really enjoying the process at yes, the moment. So exactly. it's been really really great it has and we're still learning guys so like i said it's still early stages but we are getting there and yep. um that's why we love your what feedback. episode are we on now this is episode 12 is no it? no it's not no well, God, no we ever the get first it right? part the first part of ivan malat which was last week's one was um episode 12 and this is episode 13 okay. part two of the backpacker murders so welcome to episode 13 yes, <laughs> and as hannah said this is part two of ivan malat so if you have not listened to part one yet we would recommend that you go back and listen there first yeah so that it makes sense and that you can continue on the story as it happens mm-hmm. otherwise you're kind of jumping in halfway and That's obviously right. that will be a little bit confusing totally yes. <laughs> we'll give a little overview though of what you might have missed last week absolutely so uh, maybe actually do you want to do a quick overview yeah so basically um we were talking about the case the terrifying case of ivan malat who was also known as the backpacker murderer um and this took place in australia where he would take his victims there was seven in total um, known victims seven known victims and there was five girls and two guys uh, two men and he subjected them to all sorts of awful awful things in the Belanglo State Forest which was where he would he would spend a lot of time toying with them and kind of hunting them down and all sorts of awful things and that was his MO he would pick them up when they were hitchhiking um whilst backpacking around Australia mm-hmm. you know planning to have the time of their lives uh, as they should have been allowed freely to do without any worries and unfortunately they ran into the likes of Ivan who was to bring their their lives to a sudden and horrific end. Yeah. Um, so by 1993, evidence was accumulating on the murders of the seven backpackers found in Belanglo State Forest. Um, and so Australia's biggest manhunt was in full throttle. Um, authorities are firing on all cylinders, cylinders and frequently appealing to the public for any information that could aid in the pursuit of this perpetrator. So when we left off, Hannah had told us that um, a young man in the UK had been reading the morning paper and he had seen the story of what was happening in Australia. Now, I'm going to get into, this man's name is Paul Onions, but let me start this by saying that on the 9th of November 1993, a lady called Joanne Berry called the tip line with information regarding a hitchhiker she had rescued in 1990. This was our man, Paul Onions. So five days later, Paul Onions 
also calls the tip line himself after seeing the story on British news of hitchhikers being found dead in the Belango State Forest in Australia. Okay, so in late 1989, the then 24-year-old Paul, a British Navy veteran, he had just quit his job as an air conditioning mechanic in Birmingham, England, to go on an adventure in Australia. So in Australia, they have this incentive where backpackers or anyone really can go traveling around Australia and can stay on fruit picking farms where their services for picking the fruit, um, that provides them then with accommodation, like bed and board, basically. Mm -hmm. So they can stay in these places for free and then they are housed and fed and looked after. And it's also a way of them making a little bit of money in order to finance their backpacking trip. Cash in hand as well. So they had money to just... To burn. Money to burn (laughs) and money to sort of get them on their next set of travels as well, wasn't it? Absolutely, yeah. So on the 5th of January 1990, Paul Onions was hitchhiking for the first time through Australia. (gasps) First time, was it? It was his first time oh, hitchhiking. Geez. He'd only just arrived in late what December. Big, what bad luck. Of the 89, yeah. So he was on his way to one of these farms when he was picked up by a man who introduced himself as Bill. And this again was on the Hume Highway. And he's offering him a ride to his destination. Now, for those slow on the uptake here, Bill is actually Ivan. <laughs> just to clear that up. <laughs> just clearing this up. But I'm going to call him Bill just for this part of the story, okay? Yeah. So Paul says the first thing that he actually noticed about Bill was that he looked like a famous Aussie um, cricketer called Dennis Leal. Um, at this time, he was sporting a very similar moustache. Ah. So this kind of, what do you say, like, like a, a handlebar, handlebar kind of moustache. Yeah. Um, so Paul says that he was initially um, in the car with with Bill and he was quite chashy. And although at times the conversation was awkward, Bill was at times being quite racist about immigrants living and working in Australia. Um, you know, I always find this sort of kind of funny, like his own father was a Croatian immigrant. Yeah, but yes. I know. I mean, what a ridiculous thing to have a problem with. I Listen, mean, there's know. no reasoning with these types of people. No. So Paul says that after a while, the conversation got really strange. So Bill's asking him questions like, you know, where are you going? Mm. Who knows that you're here? Oh, that's so weird. Is anyone expecting you? That is a massive red flag. Yes. And obviously throughout their conversation, at some stage, Paul had mentioned that he had been in the army or in the Navy, excuse me. So he had said, you know, he was querying, oh, what kind of training did you get in the Navy? So trying to see, what? you know, well, in hindsight, he was trying to see, you know, is this going to be a potential victim for me yeah. or am I putting How- myself in a precarious yeah. situation how much I guess. Of, a, of a strong opponent would he be absolutely so basically he's really putting paul on edge with these kind of unusual questions right summoning up trying to see is this a good target mm. so around this time paul says he sees signs for belango state forest and it's around here that bill stops the car and says we're about to lose radio signal so i'm gonna jump out and grab some cassettes from the back now, for all of our younger listeners, cassettes are <laughs> how we used Cassette to listen tapes. to yeah, yeah, how we used to listen to music way back in the day before like oh computers and streaming. <laughs> oh wow, you had to like stop and then rewind, and then sometimes you had a really crappy cassette player like we did from a car boot sale. Thanks, mum. It would sometimes chew the tape, tape yeah. up, and then you the couldn't worst. listen to it again. And then you'd be trying to rewind it all back yeah. by finger. Oh, God. Thank God for Spotify and iPhones now. I huh? mean, absolutely. So 
Anyway, Bill jumps out of the car and goes back to get these cassettes. But Paul says, I was looking around the car and there was just cassettes all around me. So he starts thinking, mm, this is a bit weird. He's already on guard because he thinks your man's being very shifty. odd. And, yeah, shifty, exactly the right way. Exactly the right way to say that. Mm. So they... Um, Oh, excuse me. So he tells police that when Bill was around the back of the car picking up these cassette tapes, sorry, buddies come over to say hello to me. <laughs> he gets out of the car himself to stretch his legs and Bill freaks out and starts shouting at him and saying, why are you getting out of the car? And, you know, get back in the car. And Paul's saying, whoa, whoa, I'm just getting out to stretch my legs. But Bill is really agitated. So he's like, he just gets back in the car to keep the peace. Yeah. And he's like, so Bill comes back to the car and he too gets back in the car and is saying things to Paul, like, put back on your seatbelt, like lock the door. And oh my God. Paul's like, what the hell? Next thing, Bill reaches down below the driver's seat and pulls out a gun. So Paul says, he's immediately saying, okay, calm down. Bill's screaming at him saying, do you know what this is? And Paul tries to calm the situation. He says, then he reaches down and pulls out some rope. And Paul says, actually, I was more afraid when he pulled out the rope than I was of like him pulling out the gun. Yeah. Because I started thinking, what the hell is going on here? So Paul jumps in the car, shouting he has a gun and starts just running up the the Hume Hume Highway. Highway. He's running up that road, shouting for help. Um, And he says he can hear a gunshot behind him. So he starts running like zigzaggedly up he the road. He is so clever. Like Paul Onions. Not only this... do you have a great name, <laughs> but you are like, he, to have your wits about you like start, that yeah. and to know, I don't know whether it came from his training or what. Must have. But to, to zigzag. But also, can I just, sorry to interrupt you, but also say, and I've read this and, and, and heard this so many times on true crime things. They always say, do not let them take you to a secondary location. location yeah. Because even if they say, I'm going to shoot you in this car, park get in the car and come with me the chances are if they are taking you to a secondary location where there is no one around there is no help yeah you're not going to survive you're that. not in a good so situation even if it means they're going to shoot you there or they're going to stab you there you've got a lot better chance of surviving if you do not let yourself get taken and i know obviously there's sometimes there's no avoiding it but if it means screaming dropping to the floor kicking off as much as you can running no matter what they say do not just do anything you can to avoid that it's so hard it's though possible. because in the situation you know that kind of flight or fright like of course you can like freeze up and just absolutely not know what but, to do but it's true once you're taken to that second location you are at their it's at their discretion what they do with you and where they do it so your chances are better if you are if you're in a public place and yeah. this was the middle of the day as well wasn't Ooh. it so anyway Paul's zigzagging up this road and he says that the cars are like swerving like around him probably thinking this fella's a complete nutter oh like running God. up the road yeah. so next thing Bill catches up to them up to him and they start wrestling in the middle of the road and Paul said he knew that if he's getting back in that car at Malat that he was going to die yeah. so he just said he said to himself in his head he said no matter what you do you're not getting back in that car the next car that goes by just stand in front of it so it has to stop even if it knocks you down mm-hmm. it's better than getting back in that car at Malat so this is where Joanne Berry comes into our story. So she recalls stopping her car after seeing Paul running away from a man wrestling him in the road. She was worried that she might knock them over. So she had slightly pulled over. Now she was driving in the car with her sister and their five children. Yeah. 
Um, and she was in a car that had like a sliding door on the side, so maybe like a little minivan or something. And she said that initially when Paul, so Paul stops the car, and she said initially when he pulled the door open, she was saying, no, you can't get in, I've got children in the car. And I mean, completely understandably, because she must have been terrified. And she doesn't know, like, who's the bad guy really no, here? Like, no. how do you know? You know? You wouldn't. So anyway, Paul jumps in regardless. And she does a Yui and they just get the hell out of there. Wow. Thank um, God. I know. I'm just laughing at how I've actually written Yui with a U and a Y. <laughs> what am I like? I have no idea. Anyway, Paul remembers looking back and seeing Bill watching the car drive away and he, like, watch, Bill watching them driving away and he said mm. he could just see him with this like wicked smile on his face. <gasps> oh, that's scary. So anyway, obviously Paul in his haste to get away from Bill left his backpack in the car. Joanne brings Paul to the nearest police station which is 13 miles away in a town called Baral. Mm. Um, so the police did take both their statements but at the time the incident is actually recorded as a robbery. And so these statements will actually remain forgotten for the next four years. So after Paul calls the police, they have numerous conversations with him, even asking local police to interview him and just to make sure he's like legit, legit. and that he, you know, not making it up or whatever. Um, so eventually they do fly Paul to Australia and he picks out Ivan Malat in a photo lineup, not once, but twice. Yeah, and, and out I, of 14. I think that, yeah, I was just about to say, I think they had 12 to 14 yeah. people in the lineup. Yeah. Um, so Paul ends up being an extremely strong witness for the Crown prosecution and he does agree to testify against Ivan in court. Right. But he's not actually the only person to ring to tell uh, of, of an encounter with Ivan Malat. So in 1977, way back, Mayor, um, a lady called Teresa Tran and her friend Mary are hitchhiking home from Liverpool to Canberra. Yeah. So the girls who were 18 at the time were picked up by a man. They say he was in his early 30s, had kind of straggly black hair. Um, and on this journey, they were about to stop. Um, they had just gotten fuel from petrol station. And they were driving down. And next thing, he... <laughs> Sorry, but he's distracting Hannah. <laughs> so, so they're driving anyway, and they're in the petrol. They've just left the petrol station, and he takes the turn off the Hume Highway, claiming that it's going to be a shortcut to Can- Canberra. And they, obviously, they're thinking, mm, they don't know about this, and he's trying to convince them, no, 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 yeah, mm. do you not know this? And, you know, they're kind of saying, I don't know. But Mary was immediately quite... Uh, she was on edge she f- felt there was something really wrong with this guy and right. apparently he had kind of said to Therese, Teresa um, you know be ready just be ready if we wow. need to run be ready um, so he pulls up the car and he gets out and he says right girls who's first Ooh, awful so he tries to pull Mary and Mary's quite a big girl mm. so she actually manages to punch him wow. and just screams at Teresa run 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 yes Mary so the two of them just run legged into the bush and they just hide oh my god I didn't know this this is so crazy so they just hide in the bush and they're like trying to hide literally crouching on the ground and Teresa says she actually remembers the car starting up pulling up and she said she thought oh my God, he knows we're here, he knows we're here, he knows exactly where oh, we are. no. And she said then after a few minutes, the car drove away. So the two of them just stayed hidden for ages. And then finally they managed to walk down a road. They find a little road and they walk down and mm. find a nearby farmhouse. So the people living there 
give the girls a lift back to the highway after hearing the story. And they say to them, look, will we, let's just go straight to the police station. But the girls, for some reason, they decide not to. I don't know if they had like a time limit of where they mm. needed to get to or something stupid anyway. But at the time they were like, oh, we need to just keep going. So they did go. Um, so, so after receiving this phone call from Trey's, they actually receive a phone call from Mary on the same day. And who tells pretty much the exact same yeah. story. And then the women are now actually living in different parts of Australia. Yeah. And I don't know that they're even still in contact. Mm-hmm. But they both actually ended up, by coincidence, ringing on the same day. Mm. Um, so the girls, they're also shown pictures of Ivan and at the time his brother, Richard Molas. Now, Mary says she didn't recognise anyone in the pictures. However, Teresa managed to pick out Ivan. And she also says that Richard looks very familiar. Yeah, oh. I know, interesting. So these identifications didn't really amount to much in co- and couldn't really have been used in court just because it was very, you know... Yeah, there wasn't strong enough evidence. There wasn't strong enough evidence to be used in court, in court. But the Malats at this stage were already under police scrutiny. Mm. So it was just another thing to add to wow. the, the, the big list of stuff Absolutely. that they already the had. Evidence the list of evidence is exactly. building up and building up. Mm. So obviously they have, you know, Paul Onion's like rock rock solid um testimony and and, and joanne berry and joanne berry and and also you know is it um therese we've got mary it's saying this is probably the guy as well all these stories are are adding up now um ivan is now been picked out as well in that lineup of 14 people which is is a huge amount of people yeah. to be singled out from so Paul, and quite often in these lineups a lot of them can look very similar of course and also like i mean the fact that four years had passed paul onions clearly it was so cemented in his memory of what had happened that day yeah. that he straight away was like this is the man so ivan had already been a name on their list of suspects anyway but now paul's identified him and he is suspect number one he'd already been flagged up as someone to keep an eye on after Caroline and Julie had been found. Um, they were the first victims to be found. And this is because the Malat family had been nominated by people um, you know, living in that area uh, due to their familiar- familiarity with the location, their um, use of guns, their overuse mm. of guns, uh, their criminal records, and that just the fact that they were the local troublemakers. And there were so many of them. So they had actually been nominated by people locally um but there hadn't been enough solid evidence however they were keeping their eye on ivan and like you said one of his brothers as well um but the only one free and not working on the dates of each of the murders could the the murders they assumed when they were carried out was ivan yeah he was the one that was definitely off work on those dates when they were last seen hitchhiking wasn't it that richard had actually clocked in on all of the days and ivan hadn't or at least some of them yeah and ivan hadn't and so he was the only malat who was absolutely free to pick up these hitchhikers on the days they disappeared and he fit the profile of someone who loves guns just like the police had thought that he had that they would um someone who was um, a, a control freak basically ivan was known to be meticulously clean and tidy mm. his house his garden was like spotless it was perfect and people and criminal profilers who'd visited the crime scenes said this person is extreme is a real control freak yeah and very meticulous and mm really fit the profile of what of, of Ivan's kind of personality. And that reinforces what his wife 
Karen had said about him exactly. as well. It, so it's all adding up. Um, and he, you know, he loves his guns and he was known to even carry them with him to work and hunting knives and everything. He was obsessed with guns. And, you know, people that used to work with him said that, you know, a lot of the guys that worked here would have like, you know, the lady magazines with like, you know, the, the you know, models and things like that. And Ivan just had gun magazines. That's how, oh that's how much his mind was yeah. dominated by, by firearms. Um, and police knew that the victims had been shot and also stabbed. And the fact that he had knives and rifles with him all the time kind of is a oh, bit yeah. of a giveaway. So he is extremely interesting to them. And Ivan knew the forest really well. His brother was a member of the rifle club, which is right in the Belangelo State Forest. So it's mm-hmm. down one far side of it. So not directly near where the, the bodies are found, but certainly in the area. So his brother knows the area. He knows the area. Um, and all the other evidence corroborates that Ivan is the killer. Um, they, you know, they looked at the bullets as well, and they seem to belong to a rifle belonging to Ivan. So basically, they now plan to arrest their number one suspect. Now, this is an absolutely huge police operation. They surround his house in late May 1994. Um, There are 300 policemen involved because um, they surround seven of his and his brother's properties. Oh, okay. It's like a mass um, kind of... Not stakeout, but it's like a mass clamp down you, you on mean the malats. Your, you mean your favourite thing? Yes. Well, after after the surveillance that they carried out now, on Ivan, I must uh, say. Is your favourite thing a stakeout or is it discussing modus operandi? Oh, it's probably a bit of both. <laughs> I don't think I could pick. It's like saying, what's your favourite type of chocolate? I just can't, you know? So, I mean, that's seven of their properties. though. So that's like a lot of the malats are being, their, their property, their house being seized all at once because what they cannot risk is doing one after the other and then one of the malats getting wind of it and then potentially disposing of evidence if they had any right. or anything like that. So Makes this is a sense. very, very you know planned down to the point plan so they surround the houses and they go in and this is 300 policemen just imagine how many people that is um so they're all surrounded and they're all raided at the same time in new south wales and some of them in queensland ivan's arrested for attempted murder of paul onions um and when they do question alex and joan malat so alex is his brother um she says, the wife says, oh, well, Ivan's given us a backpack, um, you know, a while back. And the police sees this backpack. And lo and behold, this backpack belongs to Simone Schmidl. And it the is a German backpacker. A German backpacker. The, she was a solo female um, hitchhiker. And this backpack was only sold in Germany. Not just that, but it also has little, um, I guess you call them like patches that, you know, you would sew on of like favorite bands and things like that. And there was certain, I don't know what you call that, but she had patches that had been sewn on by yeah. her. So it had, it couldn't be and anyone else's. Didn't she have like a water bottle with her name, name on it? Yeah, I mean, there's actually, I'm going to get into Sorry. how much different jumping evidence. jumping as always. Well, no, because I mean, it's true. There's there's so many, There's the evidence here is, is literally like, you can't get your way out of it. No. Even though I'm sure he'll try. Um, but Alex, the wife, says that Ivan gave them this backpack. And obviously now the police take this into their custody. Well, they don't arrest it, but they they, <laughs> they keep it as evidence, obviously. They arrest that backpack. <laughs> the backpack's in it. It hasn't done anything. Um, and it remains silent, obviously. <laughs> um, but this directly links Ivan to this backpacker just Simone Schmidl at this point but it's, it's a direct link that he he has had contact with her 
yeah. at some point. If they are to believe Alex anyway. Exactly. Um, and now there is loads of hard, hard evidence found at Ivan's house. There's more backpacks, all from the missing uh, backpackers and all taken from the crime scenes. There's like pots, um, there's pans that they would travel with, you know, to do camping things. Um, their sleeping bags were found, some with their names sewn into them yeah. or names written on them. Their tents that they took with them were found as well. Clothing belonging to the victims, cameras belonging to the victims. So all of this is really promising evidence. And there is absolutely no reason for Ivan to be in possession of any of these things. There's no reason he should have these at all. Um, They've also found photos of Ivan's then girlfriend wearing a Benetton green and white stripy jumper. And that was a top belonging to Caroline Clark that she had brought uh, from the UK. Yeah. And, and there's only pictures, available only in the UK. Only available in the UK. And there's pictures of Caroline Clark wearing it in the UK. And then there is pictures on Ivan's shelf of his girlfriend wearing the same top that he had gifted to her. Is this, I'm going to get chilled on my spine. Is this um, that real kind of trophy? Absolutely. And it's also very controlling, isn't it? It is, it is. To give yeah. that to your girlfriend or your partner and as a gift. And also to give the, their belongings to your family members yeah. as well. Like your brothers or the brother's wives or your girlfriend. Because they're constant little reminders it's like a for serial killers. joke, isn't it? It's like the pleasure they get from that mm. knowing you know i've done that and they're wearing it and you know they may or they may not know and oh yeah it's a constant reminder and a constant source of gratification I, that's for someone that is, like that that's so true like mm. especially if they don't know exactly that's a real sick pleasure exactly it's it's so twisted yeah um so there's even more there's ropes found uh, matching the crime scene there's zip ties some of the ropes like the coils of rope had blood stains on it from one of the victims so that again is placing is you know placing him at the crime scene. Um, yeah. One of the injured victims near his his ropes. Um, in his brother's houses, there's more evidence seized of things all linked back to the backpackers. And all the brothers say Ivan has given this to me. Now another golden nugget was a rifle hidden deep inside his walls, in Ivan's walls. And uh, with this rifle, they found like a, a cache of, of weapons nearby, um, a .22 caliber, same one from the crime scene as well. And the rifle also matched bullets from the crime scene. Um, and giving, like you said earlier, the family's, the, the, his family, the belongings from the victim shows his control was continuous and he wants his family to sort of be wearing these things and he was getting this sick pleasure from it every single day. Yeah, just it's, kind of almost making them part of it whether they know or whether not. Whether they knew or not, exactly. Yeah. And everything the police found was like a, a treasure trove of hard evidence. Um, the items found in every house related back to the murder in one the murders in one way or another and all the fingers when asked about it they all pointed to Ivan everyone said this is from Ivan he kept these trophies everywhere um and he was obviously attached to these objects so much that even though he knew down the line they could implicate him in the murders he couldn't bear to throw them them away or let them go and that was pretty much part of his downfall as well um, but it's it's also another strange thing is that he didn't really have a strong victim type because he killed both sexes, which is unusual for serial yeah. killers usually. Um, and the police, you know, did sort of uh, mention that as well. And, you know, the fact that his obsession with weapons was... 
was so matching to the crime scenes too. I think that goes back to the point that you made earlier that the it, the sexual part of it was secondary. It was murder for it him. It was murder. It was the killing, Absolutely. the torture, the playing, the toying yeah. with them. Exactly. And also he they enjoyed say the hunt. It completely the Ooh. hunt and the control of like the, their lives in his hands and for how long is he going to allow them to stay alive? Uh, but also they said that back you know in the 70s when some of these people escaped and you know took him to court and Mm -hmm. said that that he'd raped them and everything and obviously from that as well he was like right no survivors can can stay alive because that's what will you know well, th- th- no one can basically grass on me yeah, and he go was, to the police. He was extremely lucky to get out of that court case. So because, lucky. Because, um, are we going to go into that? that... No, not right okay, yet, fine. but we definitely, um, but definitely will. But I mean, you know, there's a few reasons that he managed to swangle his way out. Yeah. Least, least one of all running and, and pretending that he'd committed suicide and then coming back. Can't even cope with the shit. Honestly. So Ivan Malat was arrested. He was sentenced on the 30th of May with the murders of the seven backpackers. And in March 1996, his trial finally began and everyone in Australia and actually around the the world world was Mm. absolutely hooked on this case because it was like almost like nothing that Australia had seen before. Um, His trial lasted for 15 weeks. So it's a really long trial. And Paul Onions, of course, gives evidence. Our man Paul, (laughs) Paulie boy. Um, the defense argued that there was no proof that Ivan was guilty, despite the the plethora of evidence against him. <laughs> Literally, a smorgasbord of evidence. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I had to throw that word in there. Um, and and they actually attempted to shift the blame onto his brother Richard Malat, um, and it didn't work. Obviously, but everything he kept saying was, you know, I, I listened to some of the the transcript, or like I read through some of the transcript. And it's just constant, I don't know. I don't know how that got there. I've been set up. I've been set up. No, there was no argument. But that was, his entire argument was, I've been set up. And didn't he go through so many lawyers? Oh, yeah. Like he was... He'd hire them, fire them, hire them, fire them. So, I mean, that was just, again, his control. He had to be completely... um, um, try and get as much control um, up until the last moment. So this trial went on 15 weeks. Um, obviously, they were trying to argue, God knows why. Tried to shift the blame. And then on the 27th of July, 1996, the jury found Ivan Malat guilty of all of the murders. Uh, they also convicted him of the attempted murder of Paul Onions and the false imprisonment of Paul Onions. And there were some other lesser charges as well. Um, but... You know, this it goes to say like like this man will would never ever see the light of day again. He was never going to get so. out of prison. Absolutely not. And his life sentence, um, well, he's given a life sentence for every single murder, for the murder of Caroline Clark, Joanne Waters, Simone Schmidl, Anya Habshid, Gabor Neugebauer, James Gibson, and Deborah Everest. And all of those sentences handed down were to run consecutively. Um, and without the possibility of parole ever. Yes, and rightly so. So he did go to prison. And actually, within his first day of Maitland Gal Correctional Centre, he was actually attacked by another prisoner. Good. Sorry, guys, like I said, don't condone (laughs) violence. But if someone's going to be attacked in prison, it might as well be Ivan Malat. Malat. Yes. So um, 
that so that particular prison is actually now a tourist attraction so where people can go to see the former prison what yeah oh my god I well, really want to go well let's go I mean I, I do love a good prison visit it's only the other side of the world only as Just long as I can walk there. back out the door mind you yeah true <laughs> yes <laughs> so I don't want to throw it out there that I love a prison visit I want to be able to leave as and when I want to um <laughs> So he did not last too long there, however, because he and another had an escape attempt. So he tried an escape attempt with fellow inmate George Savas in May 1997. So the plan was to take the reception guards hostage and somehow this got leaked. So Savas was actually found dead by suicide hanging in his cell the next day. Um, But... Arman uh, Ivan Malat was immediately moved to Goulburn, which is a super maximum security prison in New South Wales. Right. And um, so this is actually the highest level security prison in Australia still okay, to this day. Why wasn't he there in the first place? I don't. Do you know the way? Sometimes they put them into places before they find where they're oh, going. Okay, right. I don't know if that's what it was. Mm. I'm not a hundred percent. I did wonder that myself. Um, but I decided not to research it. Mm. No. <laughs> Why would you? We don't want it to be thorough Why would I? here. Yeah, I'm only doing a podcast on yeah. it. Um, so prisoners at Goulburn have complained of the harsh treatment that they receive. And this is a direct quote from Wikipedia. A lack of natural light and fresh air, access to legal books, the use of isolation, solit- solitary confinement, limited and enclosed exercise facilities, and then self-mutilation and harsh treatment. Hmm. And probably loads of spiders as well. Probably loads, loads of spiders, spiders. Hannah. That they Good. didn't I'm not that's not a quote. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah, just a I'm Hannah just quote. There probably is. <laughs> so as you can imagine, yeah. Ivan, of course, had numerous of his own complaints. So he put through appeal after appeal after they appeal. They just always do, don't they? He was always believing that he would be released on appeal. Oh, and it's also it's probably control again. Wants to keep oh, toying 100%. with the system. And like he'd represent himself. You know, oh, God, all time, worst thing. I mean, you just know someone's an idiot when they start representing themselves, don't you? <laughs> Bundy. Uh, yeah, well, there you go. <laughs> Um, but he actually used to self-harm and he did this on numerous occasions. So, and all of it was in this attempt to escape. So he was constantly planning escape plans. Mm-hmm. He, so he would self-harm himself with the idea that he'd end up on the prison security, uh, the hospital. hospital wing where the prison security is less stringent. Yeah. So that he would end up there. So he'd do things like bang his head against the wall and attempt to cause himself a head injury. He cut his arms and his legs and stuff with blades in an effort to end up on the hospital wing. In 2001, he swallowed razor blades and metal staples in order to put himself in the hospital wing. And he did so much awful stuff. In 2003, he slammed his own hand in a really heavy door so badly that he did actually have to have something like 27 stitches or something. Didn't he cut his own finger off? I'm getting there. Oh, sorry. Uh, (laughs) Let's be jumping the gun. I know. My bad. For God's sake, can't do anything around here. Um, so that the one there where he so he's slamming his hand in the do- in the in the door, and this was all in a complaint over that he hadn't been given enough time mm. on the prison computers for his appeals. So on another occasion in two thousand and nine, Hannah, he cut off his finger with a plastic knife. There we go with a plastic knife. With a plastic knife. I mean, can how? You, oh, can you imagine how no. awful that must have been? I mean, you know, I've had this finger chopped off. What? Yeah, look. Are you sure? It's actually really deformed. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. A 
Okay, if you're watching this on our, um, but we are actually going to record this and put it on our Patreon as well, the video. But yes, I have got a um, oh, my, my little cameras here to form if you can see my uh, my little finger my you need to do that like um you know like people who are doing like the makeup and so yeah <laughs> it's not quite as nice as the makeup but i remember i well i don't remember but when i was little we had a, a kind of front door growing up in our house it was like a stable door so the top opened separately from the bottom mm. like a like a horse stable i love that and um i was in my mum's arms and she went to close the door and oh, as she turned oh, away oh. i'd put my little hand up oh, to, no, to grab the side it. of the door and she closed it on oh. my finger and my finger fell off and they put it, I think in ice. I had to retrieve the finger. My mom was freaking out. Obviously I don't remember any of this. And they um and then they had to reattach it and clearly not very well. Oh. <laughs> I feel bad then. I actually the surgeons did a very good job. Well, yeah, don't try don't try and backtrack now, love. <laughs> but yeah, so I actually that literally my that finger, like it's really Massive, annoying. Backpedaling massively. Yeah, it, looks, it looks really ugly, the poor little thing. But I don't know how anyone could do it with a plastic knife. I well, mean, I mean it's crazy. I've known you about 15 years and I've never noticed. So. I can't believe I haven't even told you that maybe because i'm so embarrassed believe you haven't told me that story know. you know you love a story i do as well chewing the ear off but i mean doing about the plastic knife i mean that's crazy he managed to so he as i said caught his finger off with a plastic knife and the plan was that he was going to mail the finger this is ridiculous to the high court of australia to try to force through an appeal now i mean i'm not sure how he thought that was going to help his case oh. like okay. honestly the mind baffles um, so his finger actually could not be reattached. So basically, he just ended up mutilating himself to no effect. Started diving, mine did. Uh huh. <laughs> but so much in common. I know. Oh God, no, 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 no. <laughs> so um, let's see. What else has he got up to in prison? In 2011, he went on a hunger strike because he wanted a PlayStation in his cell. What? I know. A PlayStation. Who does this fella think he is? Honestly, what a narcissist. Perhaps. Now, now, I actually read this. So I've read this in a few different places, but I did see, and again, this is Wikipedia, that he lost 25 kJ, k, k, kilograms yeah, in nine days. Now, that's 55 pounds. That's almost four stone. There's no way no that could be accurate. No way. I, honestly, in nine days. That's, that's impossible. There's yeah, no, no way. that sounds... No, not in nine Wikipedia days. needs to check that fact immediately. Yeah. Um, I'll probably be getting a written complaint four now. Four stone? That's just not possible. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, so yeah, so he, you know, he was just a bit of a nightmare. There was a big thing in 2006 as well where people found out he had TV in his room and he had what else did he have? It's something else in there. Um, a wine cabinet, perhaps. Cuban cigars, coffee maker, Nespresso capsules. <laughs> But anyway, huge fuss was kicked up and they actually took... Oh, it was a sandwich maker. Oh, what? Not a toasty maker? Maybe like a George Foreman or something. Oh, I don't know. Okay. But oh. um, maybe it was a toasty maker. I don't know. I mean, could have been. But <laughs> they, anyway, it, they were all removed and he was absolutely furious over this. So he was a prolific letter writer in prison. So, you know, a lot of this you'd see written in letters where he'd be given out yards about yeah. how they'd taken this stuff away from him and yeah. whatever. But he'd be writing to his sisters, brothers, friends... And he'd even write to different news outlets if he thought he might get some traction. Not let alone, obviously, the High Court of Australia where he'd send things like his fingers. Oh, God. <laughs> but um, he often signed his letters with the drawing of a stick man with a halo over its head and the word innocent written under, so kind of slightly underneath it. Wow. 
Um, and this is part of his signature. Maybe we need to post it on the socials. Yeah, it's yeah. so ridiculous. Yeah. Like well, it, it almost down. looks like it has little angel wings on the back. Oh God! You know, like he's cringe. really. It's he's real cringe yeah. for sure. Absolutely. Um. So yeah. So that's just some of the madness he got up to in prison. Yeah. But. Okay, sorry, go on. So I was going to say, so then also, whilst he's languishing in prison, but actually clearly having quite a good time, um, there's still speculation over, did he have any accomplices? I know. Because that is still a question to this day. Mm. And when you see sort of detectives or some of the investigators that were involved in the case over the years and journalists and um you know people who were reading the news lots of people involved in the case one way or another a lot of them say he did have accomplices in and some of these crimes did. we know he did but we don't have enough evidence and i don't know about you others, i was very much swinging from one to I the just, other one I to know. the other i mean like i said i saw interviews with his brother boris and you could see he's clearly a good guy and you know he shouldn't be tainted by the sort of reputation of some of his his other family members um and you can see he's absolutely heartbroken when anyone mentions what happened to these victims and he can't contain he he literally breaks down every time and this is like these are interviews years apart um but there are other brothers uh one i'm i'm not sure if he's called richard i'm always richard, it, it richard is he the one that went into work and was saying yes well it was after it was after the bodies i believe of joanne waters and caroline clark so they he was saying when these were discovered and it was put in the papers he was at work saying well they haven't discovered the germans yet yeah, yeah. they haven't discovered the germans yet and obviously they hadn't discovered german the german uh, victims yet and it said that he said that more than once yeah but richard was also known to be a cannabis smoker mm -hmm. so they said that quite a lot of the time he might be kind of a little bit out of his head right so he'd be saying these things and people would be like oh Richard's just on one again right but when he kept saying it they were people were starting to go mm. and then of course yeah. when they found the German backpackers mm. then they start reporting to the police yeah oh, and it's, and it's, a weird, somebody. it's a weird thing to say as well especially because they hadn't been found yet but it just kind of does boggle the mind because it's like he mentioned these German victims way before they're even found because they weren't found until about a year after. Yeah. So he obviously had to have had some, some knowledge, knowledge of, of these it. crimes. Why would he bring it up otherwise? Not being bad, but Richard is a bit of a scary guy. Yeah, he is. He doesn't... Like, I've seen lots of interviews with mm. them and there is a bit of a... A couple of an, them an easy seem a factor. Bit, yeah, with him. A, a couple of them seem a bit scary. And also, these are his brothers who are absolutely adamant that Ivan is innocent. Ivan oh, yeah. did not do anything. And and, and and actually, it seems to be a resounding um, idea with all of the Malats, minus Boris, that uh, he's innocent. Everyone's framed him, even though there's so much evidence and, and, and not just, you know, not just circumstantial. This is rock solid evidence. I think one of the things they bring up a lot as well is the fact that Ivan was known to be a non-smoker and a non-drinker mm. and that a few of the crime scenes had cigarettes, had cigarette butts like and and alcohol cans now there's two sides to this obviously if you're in the band of he was working alone that he was maybe as part of his control and part of his mo was forcing his victims who maybe were smokers and drinkers mm -hmm. to smoke and drink before yeah. he executed them basically yeah. or was it that he had an accomplice with him yeah. who was smoking and drinking on the crime that's scenes? that's the thing and, and he's also known to have gone back to crime scenes 
Really? So they all the all the bodies were buried in shallow graves, mm-hmm. and they're fairly certain that he did go back to be around what he created yeah. or what he. Did. I mean, that's kind of um, quite a few. So, um, the Green River Killer Gary Ridgway was um, a prolific revisitor of his mm. crime scenes. Mm. Ted Bundy yep. likes to go back numerous times up until the point where they couldn't, I said, use the bodies anymore because they were both necrophiliacs. But uh, a lot of of, of them will go back to revisit crime scenes because they are still getting, uh, gaining pleasure from revisiting and sort of going back over it and being back in the space where it it happened. So, I mean, there is, it's true. I was really flip-flopping like, yeah, I think there was someone else involved. No, I don't think there's someone else involved. And the thing is, I don't know how much evidence we actually know. We don't, we don't, I'm sure there is a lot more that isn't released about the brothers that because a lot of the police who were deeply involved are like, we know that others were involved. We just can't pin them to the crime scene. And then one of the other things I heard, which, which I found interesting because it went back to this idea of the Jekyll and Hyde mentality mm. having a part to play was somebody mentioned, I think she was some kind of psychologist, 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 I can't remember. Yeah. But they, they, they put forward the idea that, did he have an alter ego? You know, that was the drink mm. around the smoker. That was the murderer. That was the one who liked these. Like, you know, there's yeah. so many, and I know now we're getting real down the conspiracy yeah, theory rabbit yeah. hole. But it was just an interesting thing. That's an interesting thought. But also, um, I was on good old TikTok the other day, and um, there was a guy who'd spent time in prison with Ivan Milat. And he's actually someone who does quite a lot of press and I think he's quite well known in Australia. And he was saying how when he was in prison with Ivan and stuff and one day someone said to Ivan, come on, like, you know, was was anyone else involved? Was any of your brothers involved? And Ivan's kind of laughed and sort of said, well, even if there was, what would be the point in me saying it? Like, yeah. what's the point of both of us serving a life sentence I'm going to be serving one anyway. And he kind of laughed and smirked and then, and then he goes, oh, but it was only me. So th- I'm paraphrasing again, but he basically was implying, well, there's no point in me grasping on any of my brothers. And this goes back to the original when they were younger and the the motto of the family, you don't grasp. You don't grasp, grass. exactly. And we call grasping in the UK, you know, um, dobbing. You don't, what do you call it? Like... Dobbing. That's you know, so that, UK that's, as well. That's Australia. Like you wouldn't like even you use that dog on me. Like. <laughs> what do they call it in America? Like I suppose a rat. Oh yeah, you can't like rat on anyone. And so that's the thing. So he was kind of saying, what would be the point of me telling anyone because I'm already serving a life sentence. No point in two of us serving a life sentence. Yeah. And then he goes, oh, but it's, it was just me. So, and then he kind of laughed. And that to me again is, is very um, compelling and kind of like, hmm. But you know, we're never going to know. know. And as it we're stands, not. the court decided that he committed these crimes alone. The concrete evidence was against Ivan and yeah. he did go down for, he, for all of those crimes. He definitely had a part to play no matter what. Oh, absolutely. And and certainly the instigator. If he had an accomplice or not, I guess we, we, we don't know. But he and his brothers were not the only Malats who were to hit the headlines and to get in trouble it, with the law. I mean, I said it before, but I'll say it again. This is the case that has everything it's crazy now guys you want to sit down for this and Buckle case, up. if you don't already know it this is a shocker so matthew malat okay this is um ivan's 17 year old great nephew mm-hmm. so um on november the 20th 2010 another malat his name pops up in the headlines and this is great nephew um 
And he has basically murdered his friend, David Octolonely, who's 17 years old, in none other than the Belangelo State Forest. The very same place, the same crime scene, the same, um, you know, cr- crime scenes where he, where Ivan would take all of his victims mm-hmm. years before. Now, uh, what happened that night is uh, Matthew pretended that he was going to smoke weed with with his friend, David Octoloni, and two others, two other friends with them. And um, he was known to be a very weird guy um, anyway amongst his peers. Am I making this up or was it David's birthday? I think, yeah, it was. You're right. It was David's birthday. (laughs) I know, awful, that that actual day. Yeah. Um, so he has completely premeditated this and under the pretense they're going to go to the forest and smoke weed, um, but they get out of the car and um, what he has with him is a medieval double-bladed axe. My now, God. I googled this and when you look at that weapon, oh my God. That's terrifying. It's absolutely horrific. So, and this was actually a really horrific cruel cold-blooded murder he gets his phone out matthew does and he starts filming this attack um and basically what happens is for 10 minutes he subjects his his supposed friend david to to a horrific and really really awful scary ordeal i read that it was one of the other friends who videoed it cohen videoed Matthew yeah. actually attacking him. Co- uh, Cohen Klein, I think his name is. Yeah. Um. So basically one of them's filming it, but he gets the axe and he and he drags this out. It takes us a long time. His friend, David Octoloni, is begging for oh his life. Oh my God. And um, their other friend is sitting in the car. He doesn't want this to happen, but he's also terrified for his life yeah. because he knows that probably if he tries to stop, he will become a victim He'll himself. Be and he's the sitting same. there absolutely <laughs> petrified. And then two of them are, are subjecting this guy to this attack or, or filming it, one of them is. And Matthew Malat is, is striking him with this medieval axe. Um, and Matthew was known to be really proud of his family ties to Ivan. Ooh. It's not something that he tried to hide. Um, it's actually something that he would brag Used about to people. To his yeah, advantage. he was probably a bully. He did. Not only that, his, his surname wasn't even Malat. He changed Ooh. it by deed poll to Malat. It was something up. like Morrison or something. And so he changed it but to Malat because obviously he was distantly related to him uh, because he wanted that notoriety. Um, and he was bragging about that family connection for, for years. Um, so one of the boys, a couple of days later, went to the police after obviously yeah, David had been murdered. The who'd been stuck in the car. Yeah, it was. It was him. And he went with to his dad and he told him everything. And they went to the police and um, like he said, he was an unwilling accomplice and he was absolutely scared for his life, but he was brave enough to go and do that. So Matthew Malat and Cohen Klein were arrested for the murder. Uh, Matthew was sentenced to 43 years in prison, uh, no parole for 30 years. And that was on June the, tw- the 7th, 2012. His accomplice Cohen gets uh, 32 years. And the judge handing down the sentence said, this was a deliberate and premeditated crime and it was done purely for personal enjoyment. And that David Octoloni's final 10 minutes alive were filled with horror and unimaginable torment. And that was a quote from the judge. And they they just said it was just awful. Um, The crime was horrific. Um, The judge didn't give any discount for Malat's guilty plea either. And the Good. court, yeah, absolutely. And the court heard that Malak gloated about killing it, killing, killing him the next day. And he said, "You know me, you know my family, you know the name Malak. I just did what they do." 
um, shows he had absolutely no regret or genuine remorse. Um, now there is, I mean, now he's in prison, thank God, uh, to this day. But there, I just found out a little fun fact the other day, which mm-hmm. is, um, you know, another distant relative of Malat, but not not anyone who's done anything bad. Oh, so, good, thank the Lord. Do you watch? Married at Married at First Sight, Australia. <laughs> that was good. Thank you. Um, I actually don't. Oh my god, I'm obsessed. So, um, Married at First Sight, Australia, last year's series. Ivan Malat's great niece Samantha was in Married at First Sight. Oh my god. Yes. Yeah. So her grandmother is Ivan's sister. Her okay. Stop. Her grandmother her granny, is Ivan's sister. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. Ivan's sister, and apparently wow. her granny, her grandmother, had hidden a gun for Ivan at some point. Oh no. Yeah. How yeah. is outing her? Well, sorry. <laughs> yes. Sorry, Samantha. I'm out your granny. Hopefully, she doesn't listen to podcasts. Um, <laughs> my bad. No. But, allegedly. Allegedly. Well, allegedly. This, this is all according to. The Daily Mail, like I said, a fantastic source of information. We will link them in the show notes. Yes, but I just thought that was so weird because I only found this out the other day when I was watching TikToks about Married at First Sight because That's I so love random. watching it. And, and it just happened to be in connection. And they just obviously mentioned that his his niece was in it last in the last year series and stuff like that. She's pretty pretty girl and stuff as well. So Did, clearly sorry, a very nice this, relative. Of was his. this done as like a promo for Married I, at no, First Sight? No, I think it came out and the person she was coupled with. I don't think anyone judged her for it because of course why should they she it's not her fault she's related to, no, to you know Australia's worst serial killer, killer. Um, so, so it's it's I thought that's quite a crazy fun fact that though. is an insane fact mm. so Ivan Malat died of esophagus and stomach cancer on the 27th of October 2019 he was 74 years of age he had actually written a letter, one of his own, oh, many goodness. letters, requesting that he want, this was to his family, and he requested that he wanted the state to pay for his funeral. So this last little bit of control from our Ivan, but the state refused, and the money from his prison wreck account was actually used for his cremation, which I actually quite liked. Good. Yeah, Good. I Why that. should he get a funeral? No, absolutely. So, you know... Yeah, he'd be damned, wouldn't he, if the state had to pay for not only his prison keep, but mm. also for his funeral too, when they can afford to pay for it. So there you go. Mm. Um, not for that horror. Nope. So well done to Australia for that one. Yep. You um, go, Aussies. We love you. <laughs> Good night, um, mate. So police had actually really hoped for a deathbed confession from Ivan and visited him visited him visited him god why is that so hard to say numerous you had a cider no, all right <laughs> numerous times after his diagnosis and during his dying days but he did not ever confess however boris pops up once again because boris on, on many of the documentaries i've seen says that actually and the brother george mm. says that the that ivan did confess to mother margaret on her last mm. day when she visited him before she died so she visited him in 2001 and George has so- told Boris that he did admit to the mum yeah now obviously we'll never know if that is no. true and the mum wouldn't actually give information up to anyone either, no was she wouldn't she absolutely wouldn't mm. wow that's crazy yeah but um but yeah I mean I guess I guess his death sort of brings an end to those horrific horrific crimes that um that he set up on the people of australia and the backpackers you know as as well and it's such a sad sad 
story and such a sad case um that i think australia will, will still talk about for years to come um even though he has died but what i i did read which i thought was really nice is that there's a, a plaque at the entrance plaque. to a plaque yeah plaque 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 okay <laughs> a plaque at the entrance <laughs> to um Belanglo state forest for the seven innocent victims who lost their lives there and and you That's can nice. see that at the entrance of the Belanglo state forest um so I just thought that was a really nice kind of it's way nice to touch. to remember, and, yeah. you know, the, obviously the awful things happened, but also to remember the, the people that lost their lives and those, you know, these humans that had so much, again, to live for and so much hope and traveling and just living the best, having the best times of their lives, just so tragically cut short. So it's nice that there's something to remember these people, you know? Yeah. Absolutely, um, that it's not just yeah. kind of pushed and hidden and a exactly you know, just covered over. Affair. Yeah, yeah. So I guess that yeah, but that brings an end to Ivan's awful crime spree of terror, reign yeah. of terror, and um, yeah, that was a pretty scary one to research as well. Not gonna lie, it absolutely was. I think it absolutely was. It's really tragic and really vile. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So that is it from us this week, guys. Thank you so much for listening, and uh, please do tell your friends, and hopefully we'll have some Australian more more australian listeners um after this one yeah, yeah that'd be nice that'd be great um absolutely and that i think is there anything else that we need to tell them just uh, remember to join us on our instagram our tiktoks all of our social medias and give us any info on who you'd like to hear down the line yes actually of course that's a really good one mm. any anyone that you want to a few of you have already told us ones and we've actually done some of the ones yes. that have been requested already mm. but um absolutely do keep those coming in because we want to know what you want to hear because that's a good way to keep the podcast going that's just how we roll (laughs) um okay thank you so much for listening today and we will see you next week with our next episode of don't blame the mom bye bye